This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Vampires are experiencing a renaissance in pop culture, including the sensational television adaptation of Interview with a Vampire. And actor Jacob Anderson is giving new life to its undead hero, Louis. He's somebody that was having an identity crisis as a human, but as a vampire, that identity crisis becomes tenfold. Interview with the Vampires, Jacob Anderson, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Fans of highbrow horror, like myself, have long loved the work of Anne Rice. She revolutionized the genre, starting with her 1976 novel, Interview with the Vampire. It was turned into a huge blockbuster film in 94, starring Tom Cruise as the vampire Lestat and Brad Pitt as the morally conflicted vampire Louis de Pont du Lac. Now, Interview with the Vampire is back, thrilling viewers with a new television series on AMC. Louis is back too, but now instead of being a white 18th century plantation owner, he's a black 20th century upscale pimp, and it's British actor Jacob Anderson sinking his teeth into the role. I'm hoping health and pride won't deter you from the following proposal. In a week's time, in a setting of my choosing, we revisit the project boyish youth prevented us from finishing. 49 years and thousands of miles removed from the room we shared in San Francisco, I offer, for your journalistic pleasures, my full attention and my life story. All affinities, Louis de Pont du Lac. The show created such a sensation that it was renewed for a second season even before it premiered last Sunday. And now for your listening pleasure, we're glad to have the new Louis actor Jacob Anderson join us today. Jacob Anderson, welcome to A Word. Thank you for having me. You've said in a lot of interviews that you actually hadn't even read the books. So what actually attracted you to this role? Because this has a long history. There are people who know intimate details of all of these characters. Was it intimidating? Why'd you want to step into this role? Yeah, I mean, initially the thing that drew me to it was Rolling Jones's pilot script. (laughs) And then I've read the book out of curiosity and maybe presumptuously. (laughs) I was just very interested in in what I'd seen the film when I was a teenager and it maybe didn't have like a huge sort of impact on me, but I enjoyed it. And then as I read the first book, I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Not exactly what I expected, but just like it kind of, its spell definitely like got a grip on me. And I've read the second book and kind of fell even deeper into it. But yeah, it's like, it's a huge, huge, a huge world. situation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but what a world to be in. And I think that the way that Anne Rice explored the human spirit, the human condition, I guess, but through these monsters was really beautiful and, and comforting and exciting. So, one of the things that I find really interesting about your character is like he was kind of miserable even before he was dealing with the immortality thing, right? Like he's got the issues with his family and his mom. I can't really give anything away for the show, but there's this really, really powerful scene where he does this confessional at the church, like right before everything really sort of pops off. And we're going to play this clip and I want to get your thoughts on the other side. I'm a drunk lord. I'm a liar. I am a thief, Lord. I profit off the miseries of other men and I do it easy. Drugs, liquor, women. I, 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 I lord a man and grab what they got, Lord. 
I take daughters with no homes and I, I put them out on the street, Lord. And I lie to myself saying I, I'm giving them roof and food and dollar bills in their pocket. But I look in the mirror, I know what I am. The big man in the big house stuffing cotton in my ears so I can't hear the cries. And Lord, I drag my family into this mess with me. I shame my father. I've, I failed my brother. No, son. I lost my mother and sister. And rather than fix it like a man should, Lord, I run like a coward. I run to the bottle. I run to the grift. I run to bad beds. I, I lay down with a man. I lay down with the devil. And he has roots in me. All his spindly roots in me. And I can't think nothing anymore for his voice and his words. Please help me! So you're playing a gay black man in the early 1900s who's always pretending to be somebody he's not. Does that sort of like help him with being a vampire? Because as a vampire, you're also sort of hiding your true nature from the people that you love and the people that you're interacting with. I think in some respects, Louis certainly thinks that that's a a solve, that that's going to fix everything. The grass is always greener for him, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think he's not fully able in the first part of the story to like reflect on himself. He's kind of always looking at the ways in which other elements of his life are holding him back. It's such a destructive way that he's living. He's having to like code switch between all of these different sections of his life. And that's enough to drive you crazy. He doesn't know who he is. Mm -hmm. He knows how people perceive him. He knows like the worst of what he is. So at that point, when he confesses to who he is, I think it's just this like sense of complete overwhelm and shame and guilt, almost like an explosion of like self-understanding and none of it feels good for him. But then he becomes a vampire and it's like, now you're going to have to sit in these feelings forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of the things that sort of got me. Like, this is somebody who can be really passionate about family and his relationships and then can like threaten people and then kill people and not really care sort of one way or another. Like if you were to sort of describe Louis and where his rage comes from, does it come from the fact that he doesn't really know himself? Does it come from the fact that it's like, I'm a restrained black man in the early part of the 20th century. I don't get along with my family. Where do you think the rage comes from that allows him to kill so quickly? And yet in some instances, not be as affected by it as you think somebody else would. I think it's all of the above. He's imploding, right? He's like constantly chafing against his own being. That's not necessarily defined for him. It's strange because I talk about his shame and like his self-hatred. And Mm -hmm. I think actually most of it comes from external forces. Right. It's a product of the time that he was born and the time that he lives in. It's a product of the family he grew up in. The best way that I kind of can describe Louis, the best way I can think about him is that he's somebody that was having an identity crisis as a human, Mm. but as a vampire, that identity crisis becomes tenfold. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more with Jacob Anderson, star of the new AMC series, Interview with the Vampire. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about the new adaption of Interview with the Vampire with star Jacob Anderson. So, look. Most people still know you as Grey Worm, the unsullied warrior for Game of Thrones. He's a eunuch. He's a man of very few words, usually in Valerian. Um, but we want to play this clip of him sort of finally expressing his love to Miss Andri during the show. When Daenerys takes her throne, there will be no place for us here. I am loyal to my queen. I will fight for her until her enemies are defeated. But when the war is over and she has won, I want to grow old in this place. Is there nothing else you want to do? Nothing else you want to see? North. I'd like to see the beaches again. Then I will take you there. My people are peaceful. We cannot protect ourselves. My people are not peaceful. We will protect you. Like, y'all were the only two black people who really got to speak on several seasons of Game of Thrones. Just talk to the audience a little bit about what it's like to be the only black person on a hit series and now being able to be in a show where you're surrounded by sort of a very specific and almost romanticized part of sort of black culture. Um, yeah, it, felt, it, it feels very different in contrast. It's this strange thing where... On one level, it's difficult. You know, mm. you go into work every day, you feel kind of outnumbered. Um, <laughs> and I think that's like quite a difficult place to start from in like a working environment. But then on the other hand, me and Natalie really had each other mm. and we really bonded and really protected not only each other, but we really protected our characters. And I think something that I didn't always see at the time, but that like now when I reflect on it, I think is really amazing about those characters is that they both stay true to who they were. It's like this really pure, this really pure love story in amidst all this chaos where anybody can change sides like at any moment. And these two just wanted to be together. You know, they just wanted to get to know each other. They're kind of like, they're so overwhelmed with trauma and they're on this path of figuring out who they are as people they were never given the opportunity to be people to be individuals and they find out who they are through each other and that's like i feel really honored to have portrayed that and also the more people come up and say to you like it meant something that you two were there yeah because at the time i've been looking at caleb mclaughlin's comments from stranger things yes and I so understand that. Mm-hmm. Like I so know that feeling. I think sometimes at the time making that show, you just got the sense that like en masse, people were less excited to see you. Right. And I think sometimes it removed me from the kind of cultural hugeness of that show. I always felt a little bit like outside of it. And yeah, I feel for him and I understand what that is and how that feels. But also 
it makes it even more special when somebody comes up and it's like, I felt understood by this. I felt seen. But yeah. I'm still working it out. As yeah, you no, see. no. <laughs> Look, I rooted for you two out of all, like the only Game of Thrones Funko Pops I have are you and Miss Andre. Like literally, I have the gray one when I got, <laughs> I got it from San Diego Comic-Con. Going along those same lines of Caleb McLaughlin, who spoke about some of the challenges he faced from the racism from fans being on Hit Like Stranger Things, you are now going to be in sort of a third huge franchise, right? You're in Game of Thrones. The whole planet watched it. You played a great character vendor on this last season of Doctor Who. I loved your character. I loved that you had like your own sort of arc. You know, coming from the UK, like how excited were you to be a part of the Doctor Who mythos? And how does that compare to sort of being in a global franchise like Game of Thrones? Was it sort of like, okay, I grew up watching Doctor Who, so this is huge, but wait, now I'm in Anne Rice, it's global, or maybe I was in Game of Thrones, which has books. Which one sort of hit you first when you first got the job is like the most exciting? When I read those first two Anne Rice books, mm -hmm. I was like, this feels like a culmination of all of the things that I've been interested in. Well, the books in combination with Rolling Script. I was like, this is a combination of all the things I've been interested in growing up and also particularly coming into my 30s and reflecting more, going to therapy, <laughs> trying to like <laughs> figure out why, like, why am I anxious? Why am I an anxious person? And she really explores the human condition. That to me is like, it's so interesting. I think the show is all about depth of feeling. It's about the complexity of feeling and of love and emotion and how the outside world can also mess with that, even as a vampire. Mm -hmm. So that is very exciting to me. And now that I've read, I'm like, I'm six books in now. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I was saying to um, my co-star Sam yesterday that like, I'm going to be starstruck now when characters from later books start coming into the show. I'm going to be like, oh, that's you. Mm -hmm. But then by the same token, Doctor Who has a childhood significance to me. Mm -hmm. Like it was, I'm a self-confessed nerd. <laughs> there was something about Doctor Who when I was a kid that sat on the precipice of like complete terror and excitement, exhilaration. And it was the first thing that sort of did that for me, mm -hmm. that gave me that kind of dizzy mix of feelings. And probably one of the first sort of nerdy things, aside from Spider-Man, that I was into. Mm -hmm. And I was watching like 80s Doctor Who on VHS. Oh, wow. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sylvester McCoy was my first Right, doctor, right. So like, wow. Okay. <laughs> and, and these kind of rubbery monsters in it. Like that to me has a very... There was no way that I was ever going to say no to being in Doctor Who. So that was exciting in that way. And Game of Thrones was like, I wasn't familiar with the books. I'd never read the books. Mm -hmm. I still haven't read the books. But then I also didn't have a sense of like what the show was going to be when I auditioned for it at first. I was meant to be there for five episodes. <laughs> so then that became like, I fell in love with that because I was like, oh, this is a Pinocchio story. The challenge of like that sort of trickle of like humanity coming back to Grey Worm after it was stripped from him. That was such an exciting challenge. And however you want to feel about it, it was actually such a rare challenge to be able to do that without actually having much to say. Exactly. <laughs> like to do that in looks and to try and communicate that. I'm proud of myself for that. We're going to take a short break. We come back more with Jacob Anderson, star of Interview with the Vampire. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. 
You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with Jacob Anderson, star of Interview with the Vampire. So I got to tell you up front, there's a lot of actors that also rap. <laughs> I was uh, Shanks and Bigfoot. Like when I used to go to London back in the day. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you pulled I, up Shanks and Some Bigfoot. really old school stuff, man. Some really old school <laughs> stuff. You know, there's a lot of performers who sort of act and they rap and they communicate their creativity in a lot of different ways. I really enjoyed your music as Raleigh Ritchie. One of the songs that we found that really sort of fits with interviewing a vampire is this song Bloodsport. We're going to play a little bit of that and get your thoughts on the other side. I've got your back And though it's stacked against us I've got your hand it's us against consensus And I will burn The people you hurt, you're the worst And I will not learn Cause I am too young and too dumb To consider the terms Of breaking the law And I'll curse the day that they return With a smile on my face As a head hit the floor And they're done now, it's curse The blood lost to so the fuck it So you told an interviewer once That you felt like music was like its own exorcism And acting was the opposite What do you mean by that? Like how is music and exorcism And, and acting is the opposite? Um, but I think that's slightly changed with Louis. Okay. There are things about Louis that are things that I share <laughs> with him. <laughs> but I always used to think of it as like, acting is how I get out of my head mm -hmm. from somebody else. And then music is how I get very, <laughs> get very deeply into my head and then try and find a way to articulate what's going on in there. And I think that was it, really. I saw them as two different things, whereas with... Louis, there was like a real concern when I first started that it was going to be triggering. I thought I was just going to like end up going so deeply back into, you know, I was in like a pretty good spot when I got that job. I struggle with, with uh, like bouts of depression. And because Louis sits in that place for such a long time, I was worried that it was just going to send me back. Hmm. But actually, the way that the show discusses these things, the way that Anne Rice's books discusses these things, it was really cathartic. And it was cathartic in a way that's kind of similar to writing songs, I think, in some ways, even though it's somebody else's words. But I like to be busy. I have to stay busy in the way that, like, if I'm writing a song, I'm busy all day thinking about this thing. And it all comes out as like an explosion at first. And then I'm like structuring it. And then it becomes a structural exercise and it becomes about building something. And then you go back and you're like, does it feel right? Does it mm -hmm. feel good? Playing Louis was kind of the same process. You do your first take and it's just all like, ah, <laughs> you do your second take and you're like, okay, we need to refine that a little bit. And then it becomes this whole other thing when it gets edited and then you do like, it's so rare to do a, a to work on something as an actor where you're in every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was in every day. And playing a character, two very distinctly different points in his life, and actually probably five distinctly different points in his life. And that just like kept my brain working in a way that acting kind of never used to. So, yeah. Now that you've actually read the books and you've done the show, if somebody is addicted to the Anne Rice books and they read them, what are some differences that you can share between the books in your show on AMC that you think are really cool that you were like, you know what, this was in the book, but yo, the direction that we took this in, I absolutely love it. Other than obviously Louis being a black man in the 1920s, but yeah. what are some differences that you really like? Um, 
I think there is actually something to be said about the time in which our series is set in. Like mm-hmm. 1910s, it's this like very interesting point in the history of New Orleans. Prostitution is legalized. So it's like this strange boom where they essentially have a red light district and it's very short lived, but it brings all of this like tourism into New Orleans and also then contributes to the gentrification of New Orleans. And But like this period is very secret. You can't find a lot about this period in time. I tried to do a lot of research <laughs> about that time and about free people of color at the time and, and Creole people. There's very little documentation or archival materials about that time, which feels like the perfect time to set a vampire story. Right. Because the hiding in the shadows and all that kind of stuff is, I don't know, it grounds it. You really feel like this could have happened, but that the archives got lost or were suppressed or hidden. Or I think that's like a really exciting change that maybe people are like, but we love the frilly costumes and the long hair <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. But actually this brings something that maybe even, I don't know, it brings something new to the story. Actor Jacob Anderson is the star of Interview with the Vampire. You can see it Sundays on AMC. Jacob Anderson, big fan. Best of luck to you, regardless of your Wi-Fi situation. I always think you're fantastic. (laughs) And uh, thank you so much for joining us on A Word. Thank you for having me, Jason. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Yanni Evans. Ben Richmond is Slate Senior Director of Operations for Podcasts. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word. <laughs>